Okay, Joel, so I would say that something that I think that all little boys like at some point in their life is wrestling. And maybe not to watch, I mean, just something about it. You know what I mean? There's something out there that just resonates with guys, like, that's just, like, hilarious. It can even be as small as, like, gifts, you know? Because I see people who don't even, like, watch or like wrestling will (laughs) hit me with a undertaker gif like raising from the dead or something like that you know what i mean absolutely you're talking to the man who grew up i mean during the classic era of the wwf man we're you know macho man randy savage every saturday morning at 11 o'clock on wgn channel 9 oh yeah yes. the cream rises to the top yeah, so, you know, we had the 80s era and, and of course, the Attitude Era and then, you know, into the new stuff. And, and even though I'm not into it as much as I used to be, I'm started to get back into it just for, like, talent itself. So, really, I just wanted to ask you, who is your favorite wrestler of all time and why? Oh, it, it was absolutely Hulk Hogan. Okay. Growing up, it was the Hulk. I grew up and came into wrestling right at the very beginning of Hulkamania. I distinctly remember sitting in El Paso, Texas, in the living room as a kid, you know, seeing him tear that shirt for the first time. Mm -hmm. And then the moment he's starting to get beat beat up and, you know, he did the whole handshake to hear the ear, you know, to the ear. And the crowd got him going faster. To me, he was kind of like a superhero. He was basically the superhero of the WWF. He was the face of wrestling for many years. Still, in a lot of ways, is, you know, even though... He's been retired for many, many years, and he's kind of a shitty person. He's still the face of WWF. So, absolutely. Yeah, Hulk Hogan was my guy. Oh, yeah. I mean, so, like, traditionally, maybe not the most talented wrestler, but charisma out the ass. Yep. <laughs> like, all he did was yell and point and flex, and that's all you needed to do. As long as he could pick up big dudes and then leg drop them, like... Fuck it. And then he really <laughs> spread his wings and, you know, showed his acting chops and... Thunder in Paradise. Yeah, and that sex tape that he made where he said that he was full and felt like a gross pig right before he fucked that girl doggy style. And then he fit halfway <laughs> through. His, I, I didn't want to bring it up, but <laughs> since you did, since you did, my favorite part of that sex tape is he's mid-boink, right? And all of a sudden he's just like, oh, bruh, oh, too much pork. Yeah. Bruh. And then proceeds to continue having sex. It's very disturbing, creepy sex. I'm sure our listeners that came here for true crime are really happy with us already going to sex tapes. So It's a true crime against humanity. That's what it <laughs> fucking is. So my favorite wrestler of all time has been, is, and always will be, Bret the Hitman Hart. Yeah, so Bret Hart was known as like the excellence of execution. He was always my favorite because like he was really the first guy, you know... I ever saw that would like seamlessly flow between heel and face and was just such a great technical wrestler that he even made the shittiest wrestlers look great in the ring. I think that's just what a, a skill very few people have. It's kind of like, okay, we'll go with Brett the Hitman Hart and then, and then we'll talk like Morgan Freeman in the world of acting where he's so good mm-hmm. and so seamless between vi- villain and hero that he just kind of elevates the source material and those around him into what would be super shitty into, hey, that ain't half bad. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a rule of thumb with anything, right? You know, you look at the best basketball players of all time, the best athletes, and, you know, all these people have something in common, and that's they are able to lift up their teammates, and they're able to not just be good offensively or defensively, but they're good all around. And that's what makes a fucking great wrestler. Combined with the fact that he had a cool fucking nickname, the Hitman. He made it fucking cool to wear pink. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, people give less of a shit about that now. But in the 80s and 90s, like, if you were a guy and you wore pink, then, phew, must be something wrong with you. No, you're one of them, aren't you? You're one of those type. (laughs) Too much pork. (laughs) So, there's a very good reason... I'm bringing up wrestling, and I'm super excited about this episode because I chose the villains today. Welcome to episode 38 of the Curly Mustache Podcast. I'm Steven. I'm Joel. And what we do here is we take one real-life villain and one fictional villain, 
and we talk about their crimes, their uh, histories, their motives, any connections they may have, and at the end of the episode, we cap it off with whether or not they could ever be redeemed on our trusty bowler hat scale of 1 to 10. So, the villains that I picked for today, Israeli billionaire Dan Gertler. Which is just a piece of fucking shit. (laughs) Listen, I know I'm supposed to let you finish the introduction, but I can't not... Listen, I can't say this guy's name without calling him a fucking piece of shit. (laughs) Well, you'll get your chance, okay? Go ahead, say his name again, say his name again. Dan Gertler. Fucking piece of shit! (laughs) And for our fictional villain, I chose none other than Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase. Mm, yeah, oh, Ted DiBiase. I'm going to see you next Sunday in War in the something or other. <laughs> I had a joke and I lost it. Oh, yeah, rub baby oil on my back muscles. Oh, yeah, Miss Elizabeth. War of the something or other. Mm. He was on so much cocaine. You know he said that at least. They all were. Everyone was. I feel like I grew up in the wrong time frame. And before we get into our uh, real life villain, I do want to just make it clear before we get started. When we talk about Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase, we're talking about the character million dollar man not the person ted dibiase because the person ted dibiase is actually a really nice guy we're not even really going to mention him as a person we're going to stick completely to kayfabe which is his character shall we get started with dan gert the fucking piece of shit (laughs) i can't fucking help it okay i'm sorry this guy is a walking illuminati in and of himself Every single conspiracy theory about how the bourgeois run the world and start fucking wars to line their pockets and create chaos and take over political systems in entire countries, all of which 99% of the time everyone in the world is like, oh, that's fucking horseshit. Then you mentioned this piece of shit and it's fucking true. Well... You're just going to have to deal with it for right now. I kind of wish that we would have a, a sort of modern day French Revolution in America so we could just take out this fucker. <laughs> I know that sounds terrible. The French Revolution was not exactly the most positive of events, but it did get rid of Miss Let Them Eat Cakes. I'm sorry. Please continue. <laughs> I got a little mad there. This fucking guy. So, Gertler was an Israeli billionaire, a businessman, and he was in Natural Resources and the president of DGI, which of course is Dan Gertler International. Basically, he has investments in iron ore, gold, cobalt, banking, and most importantly, diamonds. And he has an estimated net worth of $2.5 billion, and he's one of the world's youngest billionaires. Oh my god. He's not your self-made billionaire either. He is a silver spoon billionaire. His grandfather was actually the first president and co-founder of the Israel Diamond Exchange. So like really throughout his whole young life, he was just fed into the business. Like, this is how your grandfather did it. This is how your father does it. And this is how you're going to do it. Learn everything you possibly can about the diamond trade. Fucked up because you gave a sociopath. Which I honestly believe this man is a sociopath. I believe in all honesty that his whole power plays, his willingness, it's all part of his psychopathy. So you gave a, a psychopath billions of dollars access to the world's largest diamond exchange. You give him literally the keys to the kingdom for the Israel Diamond Exchange. One of the largest, and I mean, I looked into it, billions upon billions upon billions of dollars of diamonds flow through this place and across the world. If you wear an actual diamond, like an expensive diamond, you're wearing something his fucking company fucking handled in one form or another. And you gave this sociopath, this psychopath, the perfect training, all the money in the world, and carte blanche to do whatever the fuck fuck he won mm-hmm. and the reason we're kind of skipping over like his youth and stuff is because there's really not much out there but that's not really the important parts of this like we know that he was silver spoon brought up we know that basically his whole life was uh school he did do his uh, service in the israeli national guard which i think they have to right 
Isn't that like it's mandatory? That's mandatory across the board. Everyone serves. Yeah, I think he did his his mandatory three years. He was inherited it super young, so that's why he became so rich so young. And the really bad stuff with this guy doesn't really happen until he takes over as president of the Israel Diamond Exchange. This guy, whew, he's been under investigation by the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, and the World Bank because his deals are so fucking shady. Basically what he's known for, like, across the world, like, they kn- people know him for dipping his hands in political corruption. Like, he would bankroll career politicians in Africa, like, specifically the Congo region, to basically stay a war-torn nation. Like, he doesn't want new politicians in there because he can just pay the ones that are there and they'll just keep the wars going and keep the same political groundwork out in the country so that he can just continue to extract wealth in the form of diamonds from the Congo region. This fucking guy. Now, listen, ladies and gentlemen, it is important for you folks to understand that there is a difference between conflict that we see on the news and the conflict that goes on in countries or areas of the world like the Congo. Like, I think in the Western world, you and I, and and I can say this with no problem, we all think of conflict like, okay, they got a couple guns, you know, they're shooting it out, or maybe they get a knife and shit. If even that, like, most people that hear the word conflict in the United States, they just think of, just say, like, Really, what's been going on between police and Black Lives Matter? Or, uh, you know, like uh, the far right and Antifa movement. Like, you see that. And, and lots of people in the Western world think, okay, that's that's conflict. There is a sheer level of mind-numbing, soul-crushing brutality to the wars and the conflicts that happen in the Congo and in other parts of nations that are entirely unreported. Yeah. It's essentially it's essentially civil war. When I hear civil war, I think you know, Ken Burns, you know, and that documentary. There is such brutality. And I, I say this because I want you folks to understand that the concept of People getting cut up with machetes and left literally still alive with arm stumps and leg stumps in the middle of a field is a regular thing. And this asshole is fucking funding that. He is making sure that this doesn't stop. This is a level of villainy that I honestly feel for us is a first. Like, we've, we, Jimmy Savile has been the worst. Well, we just haven't done anybody like this guy. So far, Jimmy Savile's been the worst. I think, in all honesty, spoiler alert, this guy might be the creme de la creme. I mean, and another thing that people don't think of when you're thinking of African Civil War is, like, you have child warriors. Like, you have children at ages 5 to 10 that are having machine guns shoved in their hand and then they're just thrown into battle and then they just fucking die or they kill. They're mentally fucked for life. And and like you said, Joel, this guy, this Gertler guy, is just paying to keep everything where it is. He's not necessarily paying. It's tough because it's not like he's like, yeah, I want more war. Give us more war. What he's doing is saying, I don't want anything to change. I don't want any other politicians coming in here making any other rules that could possibly stop me from making money so here's some money to all the politicians involved let's just keep things a little hush hush in the way it is he wants to keep the status quo and the status quo is fucking horrendous horrific like i'm not trying to be some pardon the expression overly sensitive snowflake as they're called today all over the internet but if you even do a cursory just Google search on child soldiers of the Congo, if you have a sliver of humanity in you to be the most jaded motherfucker on the planet, it will fucking kill you inside. And that is the status quo when it comes to the fighting 
over there, and this guy wants to maintain that. So I don't know if it's worse if he's purposely trying to cause the war, or it's just that banal evil of let's make some money. Hey, complacency can be just as evil as intent, you know? Oof. Um, there is some intent here, too. So let's get into it a little bit more. So there's a guy named Joseph uh, Kabila. He's basically the leader of the Republic of Congo. He's a close personal friend of Gertler. Kabila's father waged the first Congo War in 1997. When that happened, Gertler gave him $20 million specifically to load up, to stock up on weapons to basically use in war against, like, rebel rise-up groups. People that didn't like the way that politics were. like, And that's another thing in America, when you hear things like rise up and take the streets and, you know, this and that. You know, there's rallies and there's millions, hundreds of thousands and millions of people that rise up and go. In other countries, specifically war-torn other countries, when their people don't like their leaders and don't like the way that they're leading, they fucking go for their head. Which I kind of feel we as Americans should adopt that sometimes. <laughs> like, I know that's going to put us on an FBI watch list. But, and I want to specify something for our, our listeners. Understand that in no way, shape, or form are we being disparaging about the countries and principalities or the people of Africa and, it, and, the, and the many countries that are within the continent. The politicians are keeping it that way, making it unlivable for the people, which rise up and in turn, there's violence. Essentially, Gertler sold his fucking soul for $20 million. So he gives this guy $20 million, this leader of the Republic of Congo, and just specifically to use on weapons. And in exchange, he's given exclusive rights to the Congo's diamond exchange, which means nobody else, no one, not locale, not nearby countries, nearby governments, not private businesses. No one can mine Congo, which is extremely rich in diamonds. And that totally worked out, right? Like everything went out really, really well and everyone was happy at the end of it, right? I mean, there was no way it was literally a genocide against the Rwandan people in that area as a direct result of that 20 million right that, that that didn't fucking happen at all right yeah so at this point i think around 1994 you had a lot of rwandan refugees that had fled to the congo uh, because of the the infighting in rwanda and because of the money that went to this fucking guy this kabbalah guy they just fucking killed them they killed these refugees in the congo over a million yeah a million people who were already running like hell was on their tail from war in their own homes seeking sanctuary and this fucking douche this fucking piece of shit he basically paid for a fucking genocide for some pretty little rocks that we see in every single piece of pop fucking culture that made him 2.6 billionaire or something like that oh it made him way more than that you honestly think that motherfucker has all his profits <laughs> on the book uh, probably not fuck no there is so much we'll say 2.5 for that's what we know of <laughs> all, right. all right that's all we can go by but yes you're probably right he probably has a lot of hush money really over the course of 10 years he's been accused of paying this Kabila leader guy like more than a hundred million dollars in bribes just to keep the standing of having these exclusive rights and just keeping it the same. I mean, it's been like this since 1997, 23 years. 23 years of countless strife and human suffering because one fuck, fucking piece of shit at the top of the heap wants something very, very pretty that you have to dig out of the ground. Because we as a fucking people have been fooled, and, and this is where I get on my fucking soapbox. It's a goddamn rock. It's a fucking rock. Oh, oh my God, this fucking guy. I'm sorry. I got so mad when you told me who it was. When you originally told me who it was, I got so fucking mad. Uh, please continue. This guy was looked at as the man that, and I quote, looted the Congo at the expense of its people. And we say that not because of the genocide that it caused, 
because these those mostly were Rwandan people. But there's also a very real domino effect that taking these mines had for the Congonese people. So let's just take one specific mine that he took, right? As soon as the rights were given to him, the same exact day, thousands of mining workers were put out of jobs. Yeah. Right in the middle of their shift. Stop what you're doing. You no longer work here. You'll be given three months of severance and a chance to be hired back, right? You know how many of those people were hired back? All of them, right? Like, like he, he kept his fucking word and, and it was a happy ending for everyone and they got their jobs back? Yeah, exactly. Zero. Not a single worker was hired back and none of them received severance compensation. Now, folks, you need to understand this at home, folks. That That is just one. He bought what? Like hundreds of mines and did this? Well, really just all exclusive rights to Congo. Pretty much every single mine in the Congo, which... There were a fucking lot. He shut them all down, which means the livelihood of tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people, families, were completely thrown out. They were lied to, and they basically fucking starved, and it threw the economic, just the industry of an entire country Back to the fucking dark ages. What Gertler and Kabbalah and American hedge fund Oxygif, what they would do is purchase these mines and then they'd flip them to like conglomerate corporations like the Eurasian uh, Natural Resource Corporation. It was almost like a, I'm going to buy this for like a small price and then I'm going to give it to somebody even worse for a high higher price and make a shitload of money on it. And let's just go back to this particular mine that I'm talking about. So this mine that, you know, Th- say a thousand workers were immediately lost their jobs, right? So this mine was a cash cow for the local towns. And these towns held 32,000 people. And the profit from this mine were going back into local businesses. They were going into bringing fresh drinking water, health care for the entire population. When the mine was purchased, none of these profits went into the locale. But every bit of it went into Gertler's pocket. There was a project to be used to clean up the air and essentially... Everything was shut down. All of these benefits going to the locale were just wiped clean. They no longer had anything. Yeah, and again, that was just one of the many. So, I mean, he shut down fucking drinking water. Drinking waters. Fucking schools. They couldn't even afford for schools to continue to be opened. Agriculture, local businesses, farming. the Just the fucking air they breathed itself. They couldn't even maintain that. Everything was taken away from these people, ripped away by some greedy fuck. Yeah. And again, that's just in one of the hundreds of mines across this entire fucking country. All for a fucking shiny rock. Yep. And uh, around 2017, these things called the Paradise Papers were leaked. And basically, I think it was like a million documents like throughout different corporations, throughout the world, showing corruption involving more than $40 million to politicians with Gertler's name tied to them. This actually started to get the attention of like some of the world powers. Like UK has has an organization called the Serious Fraud Office Investigation. And they basically have started to take steps to eventually land criminal charges on the Eurasian Natural Resource Group, as well as Gertler. And and actually, in 2018, U.S. put sanctions on Gertler and like 20 of his companies, citing a national emergency with respect to serious human rights abuse and corruption around the world. And here's what fucking pisses me off. All right. And I'm going to say this, and sure, I might annoy some of our fucking listeners, but it's got to be said. We're beyond that. <laughs> if you honestly believe that the British government and or the U.S. government or any first world country didn't know exactly what was fucking going on over there, you are motherfucking delusional. The only reason, the only fucking reason that they are taking these steps now is because the Paradise Papers were fucking released. That is the only reason. Cover your ass. It's the whole, you're only sorry that you were cheating because you got caught. Yeah. This whole story, this whole villain, just goes to, she's just a small micro piece of the larger issue of the world itself. I know I sound like a fucking conspiracy theorist 
nutcase. No, you're not wrong. There's tons of billionaires. I mean, there's the facts are out there. If you look for them, you can find them. There are tons of billionaires like this that own major corporations and dump their fucking toxic wastes in rivers and like shit. They are destroying the world's people and natural resources like fucking world governments and i'm not talking like third world second world i'm talking first world governments united states england and everywhere else they all fucking know about it and they all get their fucking it's just like the mob they look the other way and make it look pretty yeah. as long oh you know as long as i get just a little taste if we get just a little taste of the money eh, who cares about child slavery or the slaughter of innocents right. or, uh, you know, the fucking cancer rates and, and birth defects of entire villages? It's so beautiful. Hey, you know what I got today? My 27th yacht. Fucking great thing. I'm in charge of Congress. Gurler never admitted to being guilty, obviously. But the hedge fund was, like, doing this shit with him. Basically admitted that they had violated the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, like, many, many times. But Gertler still, like... Nah, I didn't. Yeah, Akazif, which sounds like a fucking Nazi name. <laughs> I mean, honestly, this guy... Yes, un welcome. My name is Akazif. And I would like to welcome you to the Europa Natural Resources Group. And uh, if I has my hand up, oh, I just found to see if you are so tall. It's a firm, basically. <laughs> oh, it's a whole firm of these fuckers. Yeah, it's, it's a whole group. It's a hedge fund firm. Yes, I don't know. You know, we are not some sort of party of a certain affiliation <laughs> we are more of a gaggle of group yes we are not a party it's a firm wink 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 gobbles get back to work makes it twins yeah but the one good thing that came out of this is with the sanctions that the u.s put on uh, gertler and his companies is this has started at least to cause pressure for new companies and and even the existing ones to start to sever all the ties with doing business with him. Not that it'll affect him in any way because he'll just keep doing it and keep gaining billions of dollars, but... This is what it takes for them to start to do the right thing. This. This is what it takes. Not people dying. Not children dying. Not fucking atrocities unparalleled in 90% of the fucking world. Yeah. The kind of horrors that we we Americans don't have a fucking clue. Yeah. We think it's hard. Things are hard. Things are bad. You know, people are going hungry. People are living in the streets. People are having hard times. We don't have a fucking clue. The kinds of horrors that these people have to deal with regularly and that this fucking guy just fucking kept making happen and made it worse. So that people on fucking TV could have something fucking shiny. This fucking piece of shit. <laughs> oh my God. I've never been so mad. <laughs> Holy fuck. It, it was interesting. A little bit off topic, but kind of on it. I just uh, read this science fiction story by N.K. Jemison, who is like a really popular science fiction fantasy author right now. This And this is the story is available in the Forward collection. You can get it for free off Amazon Prime for your like Kindle and on your phone and stuff. Anyway, it's like just a short story and basically... These these people come down to visit Earth after leaving for so many years. You know, they left whenever the Earth was getting ready to die. Like, they were just fumes everywhere and, like, fucking corporations had just ruined the Earth and everything. And all the billionaires, they, they built a spaceship and they were like, let's put all of us on this spaceship and let's just leave. And they left for a hundred years and they came back to Earth to gather, like, certain resources that they couldn't get in space... And when they get back, they send these, they call them emergency skins. They send them down, and every time they send them down, they never come back. And they never knew why. And then the story basically is telling you that the two people, they come to Earth, and everything's flourished. And every everybody is happy with one another, and everyone's working together. And that they were like, oh, well, we thought the Earth was going to die off. Like, what happened? And you find out that it's because all the fucking shitty billionaires and all the people that worked to destroy the planet fucking left. <laughs> and you're like, 
God damn, I wish that would happen. Fucking go. Just fucking go. Just let him live in the fucking spaceship like in Wally. <laughs> I knew you were gonna say Wally. We'll go through we'll go through some shit like in it'll basically be the Fallout series for a while. Right. And then is oh I just I kinda wish Skynet would rise up now. <laughs> <laughs> Dan Gertler, you're a bit dominated. I need your clothes, your sunglasses, and your motorcycle. Talk to the hand. <laughs> Oh, I had to throw that Terminator 3 reference in there for you. Oh, and then there's Dark Fate. And Genesis. Don't forget about that. I can change diapers with great efficiency. I am a good listener. And I am a very funny. Ha ha! That's a fucking line. Terrible. All right. Well, let's have some fun with this podcast. What do you say? I can't. This no, fun. we can. We're going to. Seriously, ladies and gentlemen, before we skip over and hop to a new villain, I highly suggest you take a look. Google the Paradise Papers and just understand that the paperwork you have in front of you, that you will have in front of you, is quite literally the tip of the iceberg. The tip of the fucking iceberg when it comes to corruption across the world and the rape of the natural world, its people. Fuck me. But how about we take a look at uh, Ted, the million dollar man, Davey Yes. And my favorite heel. Of all time, by the way. Is he? He is. He's my favorite heel wrestler of all time. I have a question for you. Was Andre the Giant a heel? Sort of, yeah. He was. Because I grew up watching Andre the Giant. Andre was basically like the big monster that Hulk Hogan had to defeat, you know? Okay, because that was my prime wrestling time. Andre didn't really have a lot of flair. You know what I mean? He was just a big goofy guy that could crush people. Exactly. He couldn't talk well either. So, so it was like, it was like, yeah, he was he was a heel in the sense. But Ted DiBiase is a little bit different. So let's get started on him. Million Dollar Man. He started in 1987, and he was a face wrestler. And I know we've talked about this a little bit before, but face means a good guy, heel means a bad guy, right? And DiBiase heel turned on his tag partner Sam Houston so basically they were the kind of these like tycoonish you know rich guys who you know they were fun and he was one of the first turncoat heels and became one of the most notorious heels in wrestling oh my god Ted DiBiase has just betrayed Sam Houston oh who saw this coming it's a fucking disgrace oh lord Jimmy did you see that coming no I did not see that coming Ted I mean, that was pretty good, aside from just sounding like Alex Jones. (laughs) But we get the point. The next episode of WWF Superstars, this is when he, like, unveiled himself as the Million Dollar Man. And he comes out wearing this gold-studded, dollar-sign-covered suit, sporting this diamond-encrusted, self-awarded, like, million-dollar championship belt. And this is where it was born. So he basically built himself from the beginning as who Vince McMahon wishes he was. Have you ever seen a disrespectful display of the the sport? No, Jimmy, I can't (laughs) say that I have. It's basically like going up to your boss and be like, I'm who you fucking wish you were. Exactly. (laughs) But I do remember, I honestly, like, back in the day, wrestling, as we used to call it, it wasn't wrestling, it was wrestling. Wrestling, they did have colorful characters right mm-hmm. like even hulk hogan was like you know he had the yellow shirt you know and the bandana and it's and he was big and flashy and you had the, yeah you had the 24 inch pythons yeah you had the neon whatever the fuck macho man randy savage was wearing right yeah but ted dibiase was kind of the first one to really take and i know this is gonna sound weird but, like, that bourgeois, big dick energy. Yeah, he was, like, class. He was a classy villain who just sort of showed up out of the fucking blue. Like, my little brain, my six- to seven-year-old brain, couldn't fucking handle it. I just knew that this guy was rich and I hated him for it. Well, right, exactly, because, you know, mostly wrestling fans were not rich. Oh, yeah. And Ted DiBiase's whole thing was, I'm better than you because I'm richer than you. It was that first time that they really 
mined into that particular part of their fan base that, you know, they kind of knew that their fans were middle-class Americans. Or even lower-class. Middle to lower-class Americans who were you know, struggling to get by, and they used the political climate of the 80s and the excess to really create a villain that resonated with fans mm-hmm. and i think that was the first time that that i really did that i think so too on a large scale there were a couple other ones but definitely during this flashy 80s era that you're talking about he stood out definitely as far as villains go of, of the 80s when it comes to uh the wwf he stood out amongst all of yeah. them. On that first promo, he came out and he was like, I got a spring residence in Florida, a summer residence in Massachusetts, an autumn residence in California, a winter residence in Netherlands. Like, he had houses for every season. He had his own bodyguard. Uh, his name was Virgil. And it was a little bit... Problematic would be the term. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a little problematic because... Didn't he use the phrase, this is my man, or this is my boy, Virgil? And I'm just like... Ah, that's hard. Yeah, I mean, and there has been some sources that even referred to him as paid slave. Oh, <laughs> and so it's I like, didn't know that part. Oh. Yeah, I don't. It's it's a little. I mean, it's a lot problematic, but little's a fucking understatement. Yeah, and the reason that he called him Virgil was because you know Dusty Rhodes' real name was Virgil, and Dusty Rhodes he was the American dream. He was a, a big face during this time, you know. And basically what Million Dollar Man wanted to do was just insult the fuck out of Dusty Rhodes. So here is my, basically my slave that has to do what I tell him. And this is, he is named after Dusty Rhodes. And also I'm going to create my finisher, the Million Dollar Dream, as an insult to Dusty Rhodes' nickname, the American Dream. There is something fascinating about the back history of these old wrestling characters and how they can actually really... I can just see the times of the country in them. <laughs> right, right, right. Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, is the 80s. <laughs> he is the fucking 80s. Yeah. It's like the 80s fucked itself and, and, and birthed this man into the cultural zeitgeist. Virgil, they would have him do stuff like rub Million Dollar Man's feet. Ted DiBiase would just be like laying there next to a pool while Virgil's massaging his feet and he'd just be like laughing with a cigar in his mouth and like everybody's got a price <laughs> you know what I mean yes <laughs> you know and that was his motto his motto was everybody's got a price so that is how he ingrained his character throughout the WWF and we're, and we're saying WWF because it was the WWF at the time it didn't hadn't transitioned over to uh, World Wrestling Entertainment yet but Basically, what he would do is, like, skits and promos, he would, like, buy out honeymoon suites, like, kicking people out of them. He'd buy up entire first-class flights, bribe managers to get swimming pools to himself with, like, a special lady. He'd go to the gas station and buy a pack of chewing gum, and he'd hand the cashier a $100 bill. If he was at a bar and he paid for a drink, he'd throw the $100 bill on the ground for the waiter to pick up. And these were actually real $100 bills. I didn't know this. WWF actually gave him a stipend of $100 bills to use for his gimmicks. Oh, there's just... I wish I had that kind of money just to fuck around for pro. Yeah, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> just, I legitimately have to take half a day off of work just to edit a promo <laughs> for a podcast I'm working on. And this guy, just little bits and promo bits for his for fucking a wrestling match... And he is, he's getting a stipend of money, which involves a stack of $100 fucking bills. <laughs> talked about the character, but do you ever think Ted DiBiase ever really bought into it for a little, even for a small period of time? Do you think that the man, the wrestler, the actor himself ever bought into his character? I don't think so, because I actually got to meet Ted DiBiase And this was like really post-wrestling. It was around 2002 or so. And he actually goes around the country to lobby against drug use in high schools and middle schools and stuff like that. So he actually did like an assembly type uh, at the high school in Scottsburg and, you know, kind of spoke out against drugs. Actually, uh, one of the members of Legion of Doom came and did it too. I don't know what it was with my high school and bringing anti-drug wrestlers in for assemblies. Are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) No. Ted DiBiase, you know, he like, he just seemed like a really kind of down-to-earth guy. He was really serious about, you know, 
just not throwing away your life and, and taking advantage of like the things that you have. And so I've, re- I've met Ric Flair too. <laughs> Ric Flair is very much the man, the myth, the, le- you know, he is Ric Flair. The man is very much the same Ric Flair, the rest really? so much to the point where he's driven his family nuts. And I won't go into, you know, the specifics. You can watch the 30 for 30 on that. But Million Dollar Man just never really seemed like that guy. So, and that's really all I want to get into on, like, him as a as a person. Yeah, I, I, I totally get it. I was just real curious. He would, like, convince fans to kiss his feet for money. He'd give them $100 to kiss his feet, like, in front of the entire crowd. Would you kiss his feet, Joel, for $100? Uh, fucking, yes, I would. <laughs> You're like, like, I'd jerk him off in a fucking porta potty for 100 bucks. <laughs> You said it, not me, but I'm glad you said it for me. <laughs> this is my favorite story about DBS. Once again, it's a little bit problematic because I actually went back and watched the video as kind of a reminder today. So I want you guys to picture this. If you haven't seen the video, it is on YouTube. It's good when you start off with, I want you all to ambition this. So Ted DiBiase, he's out there with Virgil. You know, he's standing there. He's got like an entire billfold in his hand, right? And he, he's looking at the crowd and he's like, who wants some money? Who wants some money? And uh, he brings out this, you know, probably a six-year-old black kid. The fact that he's black is important to the story because Ted DiBiase hands him a basketball and he says, I want you to bounce this ball 10 times. Can you bounce this ball 10 times? And the kid says, yeah, yeah, I can. You know, he's a little scared. He's kind of looking around. He doesn't really know. You can tell that this is not like an acting kid. He's clearly out of the crowd and he's like, uh, okay, I'll do this. And he's a very terrible ball dribbler, by the way. Kind of like you, Joel. (laughs) (laughs) So he dribbles this ball 10 times in a row. And Ted DiBiase is like, yeah, yeah, good job. Great job, everybody. Give him a hand. Give him a hand. And then he looks at the kid and he pulls out $500. And he goes, now, kid... I know that your family needs this $500. I can look at you and tell that you and your family need this $500. Oh my God, no he didn't. (laughs) Yeah, and then he says, if you bounce this ball 15 times in a row, I'm going to give you and your family this $500. Can you do that? And the kid shakes his head, yes, I can do it. So he bounces it, and Ted DiBiase's counting. He says, one, two, three, four, five. He gets all the way up to 14, and then Million Dollar Man kicks the ball away from the little boy. And the little boy is just crushed. And and DiBiase goes, well, I hate to say it, but you get nothing. And then he just walks away. I can't. And just leaves the little boy there, just feeling like that. I'll, I'll just say it now. It's good television. <laughs> It's good fucking television. It's an amazing promo. I mean, come on. That is just fucking great. Maybe a little problematic with the whole, like, you look like you and your family <laughs> need this $500, but... But that is... I mean, it's accurate. That is what a rich douchebag would fucking say. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But, I mean, it's good television. Yeah. They knew how to get people. They knew how to get eyes, asses in seat and eyes on the screen. They knew what to do. This next part is kind of my favorite part uh of ted dibiase's career his first major angle as million dollar man was against hulk hogan because you know you had your like you said earlier kind of your superhero you had your superhero and you had your villain your lex luther you had your superman and you had your lex luther that's what i was looking into it and that is kind of what they were modeling it on just a little bit like the, the promos were hulk hogan is superman and then ted dibiase is fucking lex luther this rich billionaire asshole who constantly gets defeated and that's what happened like hogan would just defeat him over and over again and like he'd get matches for the world title and dibiase would lose ted dibiase the million dollar man ted dibiase paid andre the giant which by the way fyi folks if you some of our younger listeners don't know who andre the giant is look it up he is literally a human homunculus (laughs) that is eight foot tall (laughs) He's fucking huge. Paid Andre the Giant to wrestle Hulk Hogan and then and paid the evil twin of referee. Yes, in quotes. He, they literally had the evil twin angle going in their storylines. <laughs> the evil twin of referee Earl Hebner to count Hogan down. His shoulder was up at the time and, you know, they still had him lose anyway. Yeah, and win the championship. You know, and Andre the Giant won the championship. And then literally... 
Andre the Giant immediately walks over to the Million Dollar Man and just humbly lays it before him, giving him the championship belt and thus making him the world champion. By doing that, Andre the Giant became it, it became the shortest reign as WWE champion. It was literally seconds. <laughs> oh my god, what is Andre the Giant doing? He is giving the belt to the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. Oh my god, Andre the Giant is no longer the world champion. Ted DiBiase is the world champion. He bought the world championship belt, which is the fuck, it's like the most brilliant heel angle ever. Like, the reason this is so exciting is because up to this point, these are WrestleMania matches. These are like Hogan against Giant, Hogan against Iron Sheik, like year-long storylines built for this prestigious belt, you know? And DiBiase fucking buys it because he's such a fucking scumbag and he's bitter that he keeps losing. And it fucking works <laughs> yeah it's a hard sell it's a hard story to sell but it fucking lands gets a 9.9 10.0 and fucking becomes the stuff of pop culture legend yeah that would be the only time dibiase would actually win the world championship he had it stripped from him like the next night he defended against bam bam bigelow and then the president of the wwf jack tunney came out and was like you're not the rightful champ i mean you know you didn't win by pinfall or submission, so therefore you can't be the champion. And he took the belt away from him. And that was really his only reign as champion, which, you know, it was fine because he was, after this, he started to become a little bit more of a mid-carder. Like, he still had some some big matches. Like, he went on to win the 1988 King of the Ring, which is kind of prestigious in itself because the King of the Ring has the, the throne and the scepter and the, like, crown and stuff like that so it was like perfect for him oh yeah when he starts doing the royalty fucking the crown and the that's a cape dibiase creates this team of heels and kind of like one of the first like cluster of heels together and it was himself and it was the powers of pain which was warlord and barbarian and then zeus who was tiny lister jr you know the actor who played zeus in the popular movie no holds barred you know, against none other than Hulk Hogan. And of course, you know, they fought against Hogan's Hulkamaniacs. And then here is like another awesome example of like just his character. In 1990, he purchased the number 30 spot in the Royal Rumble, which is, means like he would come out last, giving him the highest chance of success. Yeah. The president of the WWF at the time was like, no, fuck that. You can be in the Royal Rumble since you paid, but you're going to go in first. And he actually made it really far. It was like one of the longest uh, amounts of time in a Royal Rumble at the time. I think he made it like 45 minutes or so. So after this, they kind of had like a character arc for Virgil. And he turned on Million Dollar Man. And they had a huge match for the Million Dollar Championship. Virgil kind of smashed his head into an exposed turnbuckle, which won him the match. And then DiBiase would go on to form the Money Incorporated tag team with IRS, uh, which was managed by the Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. And this is where he'd win the tag team titles three times. He'd leave WWF for a little bit, came back, and formed the Million Dollar Corporation, which consisted of himself as, like, commentator, manager, wrestler, and then just a huge team of heels, like Bam Bam Bigelow, uh, Nikolai Volkov, Kama, King Kong Bundy, Psycho Sid, 123 Kid, and even Tatanka for a little bit. <laughs> Tatanka. He, he was one of my favorites. And Million Dollar Man was just kind of, like, the start of it all. One of the biggest things of his career that really didn't even have to do with him wrestling was he brought in the ringmaster, and that's the name of the wrestler, the ringmaster, who would eventually become Stone Cold Steve Austin, who you could say is the face of wrestling in the 1990s. Him and The Rock. Yeah. Yeah, for the WWE, they were the face. And then, you know, you kind of had Sting. For a hot minute there. Sting was WCW for a, for a long time. I, I, I love the Crow thing. Yeah, that was all WCW. But Stone Cold Steve Austin was like the face. You know, he was always battling with Vince McMahon. The glass shatters and the crowd goes wild. Steve Austin began his career by wearing the Million Dollar Championship. You know, the studded belt that DiBiase carried around. This is when he had this I Quit match with Savio Vega. And when Steve Austin lost, that meant that 
Million Dollar Man had to quit wrestling. And so that was his that was his last year in the WWF as the character. It's actually kind of funny, though, because he returned just a few months ago. They have this new belt called the 24-7 belt, which can be won or lost at any time. You know, it's kind of stupid. There's been a couple of fun moments in it. But, like, one wrestler is getting ready to destroy the belt. And out of nowhere, like, Million Dollar Man just walks out of the back and he's like, Well, I'll give you some money for that. And so, like, just a couple months ago, he became the 24-7 champion for, like, 30 minutes or some shit. So, now that I've nerded out about wrestling for, like, an hour. It was a lovely counter arc. (laughs) I told you. I I know we started off mad. But I told you that that Million Dollar Man would bring us around, right? I I was wrong, and you were right. (laughs) You were right. I I stand... You feel good now, don't you? I I stand here humbled. You're going to go watch that clip of the basketball, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I was going to... Maybe a little problematic. (laughs) Might be, but I'm thinking about watching it. (laughs) But, uh, all right, you ready to head to the bowler hat scale? Absolutely. I don't think it's a fucking question. (laughs) Where Dan Gertler fucking fall straight to hell (laughs) dan breaks dan broke it dan has officially usurped jimmy savile as the show's worst fucking villain without question he is he breaks the scale he is an 11 he is i mean listen i know we can only go to 10 but dan gertler that fucking piece of shit gets an 11 he is that he is that fucking... It's hard for me to argue with that. Like, I'm, I'm definitely going to put him at a 10. It's it's really tough. Because my, my top guy was Vlad, the Impaler, because of basically just the brutalness of him. But, like, this guy is just so complacent and just fine with just the murder over money. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not even like a life or death. It's not even like a thing, like, at least Vlad the Impaler is like, if I don't kill these people, they're going to come into my country and murder me. This guy is just... Fine with the murder of children for money. Ugh. He is fine with the destruction of entire nations. An entire nation. He would go further if he could. If he could do it. He, ugh. What's so funny is last week we did an episode on the king of hell himself. (laughs) And this guy is worse than the king of hell. Okay, so where does Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase belong? Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase, his character is brilliant. The, the, the guy, Ted DiBiase himself, uh, listen, whatever your personal opinion is on wrestling, they're actors, all right? They are they are highly athletic, skilled, athletically skilled actors. And Ted DiBiase is kind of one of the greats. Yeah. But his character kind of a bitch <laughs> yeah he's just a rich douchebag he's a rich muscle-bound douchebag yeah kind of a three a four at, the mo- at most he's a four <laughs> and that's only because of it, it at times he's ever so slightly racist <laughs> ever so slightly problematic like i don't i don't <laughs> think it was fully intended to be racist but now that we've grown a bit as a culture not much just a bit to realize yeah ah yeah this might not be cool i'm gonna give him a three i think yeah i think we're both in agreement on this one he's a three he's just he's just kind of a bitch he's just kind of a bitch but a bitch who could break your fucking arm i was gonna say but for charisma and just sheer like fun he's a 10 oh for for sheer showmanship he's a fucking 10 He's up there. Let's move on to listener feedback. Absolutely. Our first piece of feedback is from Matt. And uh, he says, I think Neuberg going insane thing had a little bit, a little more to do with the drugs than the power bottoming. (laughs) Slightly. 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 I understand what you're saying. But when you butt fuck the most wickedest man in the world and you go insane... Guess what? It doesn't matter if there were drugs matters. involved. It's it kind official. of matters. Yeah, no, it does. No, it doesn't. Because in the in the terms of the mythology, in the story and the myth building, it is the power of that bottom that drove him insane. I don't know. I kind of agree with Matt here. I think it was, what was he on? What, uh, what was it? Hash and mescaline. Yeah, mescaline. That's right. Mescaline and hash. Yeah. 
Oh, I get it. It's it's a it's a it's not a mix you want to play around with, <laughs> let alone perform magical summonings. Yeah. Especially on those. And then to just be like, bear back me, Noiberg! Bear back me! <laughs> whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> he did look like a horny bisexual curly. <laughs> <laughs> hey Mo, let's open up the gates of hell! <laughs> and then just the Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Why I order? Oh, I'm gonna leave. This next piece of feedback is from Ryan, and uh, referring to the Vlad the Impaler Dracula podcast, he says, "Yes, this is the motherfucker I've been waiting for." Well, we hope we did you justice with that episode. That was one of my favorite episodes that we've done. Absolutely, Ryan. I'm wondering. I, I, I um. I'm wondering why the fuck you're not caught up. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> why, why the fuck all of a sudden are you now on the. Vlad the Impaler, that was like 15 episodes ago. <laughs> what the fuck is going on here, man? I mean, honestly, if he's sane, then he probably can only handle like one episode of us per month. You know what? I can give him that. I, I worked with Ryan. I know, I so I can't blame him for that one. This is from Elisa. She was a guest host on the Miyazaki podcast. She said, son, that episode, though, I loved it. If the U.S. has a secret fraternal Christian society whispering to leadership... You fucking know that the UK has a secret cultist society casting spells in the name of their royal majesty. I just can't. Aleister Crowley is a charismatic, magnificent bastard. Great job, guys. Though I didn't hear Joel say cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, and I was super upset. Baby girl, I apologize, and I will make it up to you. (laughs) No! Because that shit was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. (laughs) Yeah. This one, not so much, though. This episode, not so much. Uh, Elisa, thank you for the feedback. Uh, glad that you're still listening. Glad that you're still enjoying the show. So, I, I actually really enjoyed the Aleister Crowley one. It gave me a lot of information that I didn't know. And I've, I've always, you know, heard the name Aleister Crowley, but I'd never done really much research on him. So, learning about him last week was actually really fun for me. It was very difficult for me. Yeah. Because I truly wanted to go in depth you wanted to get deeper and deeper deep esoteric into the deeper and deeper and deeper noidberg deeper i was gonna say you wanted to get noidberg deep in it but no it was real difficult for me not to go deep into the uh into the esoteric information about magic and the occult and the the rites and rituals and you know how right hand and left hand path magic works and sigil magic and chaos magic and it was real difficult for me not to just go on what would have been a five-hour lecture brought to you by joel (laughs) and the fact that i have no friends outside of you and a couple people who don't live here so i read a lot and i'm just shit (laughs) well you did a good job because I enjoyed it. Thank you. I have one thing to talk about before we close up here. And it's kind of a message. Like, I told them that I would tell you. It's not really from me. Let's hear what these horse-humping thunder cunts have to say. Really, I want to hear what Cap Head Injury, Mr. McGee, and Elito Nalabre has to fucking say. Please, please enlighten me as to their bullshit. I just wanted to let you know, and 100%, I just, you know, this is not from me. But the guys in Motion Picture Meltdown wanted me to make it clear to you that you're my side bitch and that this is my side bitch podcast, not the other way around. Okay. (laughs) Listen, why do you get a side bitch? Because a side bitch is far more fucking enjoyable than the main bitch. (laughs) The side bitch does shit with you that the main bitch is a fucking prude about. And the side bitch is like, hell to the yeah, let's get it on. The main bitch is like, um, can we pick out curtains? So the moment y'all can keep up with this fucking manic, depressive energy that I got going right now, (laughs) because the moment we're done here, I'm going to cry, but I'm keeping up the energy then, then you can fucking talk. Until then, how about Cheats McGee go gets a fucking leather duster and uh, Phil the Kill Collins gets another head injury. Hey, now. Hey, now. I'm sick of their shit. Whoa. Hey, now, nothing. Hey, now, you're an all-star. Get your game on. <laughs> Whoa. Okay, I'll, uh, I'll relay that message. <laughs> Shots were fired. All right, guys, we appreciate you tuning in for episode 38 of the Curly Mustache Podcast. 
As always, the most important thing that you can do to help us is to spread the word by telling all of your friends that love true crime and pop culture podcasts. Uh, tell them about us. They can find us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Overcast, and pretty much any other major podcast platform available. Don't forget to tell them to follow, subscribe, rate, and review. It all helps us. If you haven't done this yet, find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all at the Curly Mustache Podcast. Uh, I often post content like poems, pictures, videos, interviews, and more uh, that relate to our episodes. If you want to listen to more United Cypher shows, check out Motion Picture Meltdown and Music Video Countdown, along with older episodes of Talks Over Games, The Anime Alphabet, and Fallout Forecast. And lastly, check out some shows from friends of ours like Nerdonomy, The Whiskey Reel, Sorry to Waste Your Time, and Code Yellow, A Scare Actors Podcast. I'm Steven. Oh my god, I'm Joe Bingo! <laughs> and make sure you stay evil. <laughs> <laughs>